want to welcome each and every one of you here today. I also want to welcome those of you who will be watching on our very first Facebook broadcast this week as this service was being taped and will be put out on Facebook. We are also hoping that next Sunday this will be live streamed and uh, that it will be live next Sunday on the internet. Um, right now I have Braxton in another room listening as our governor is ready to uh, present some new guidelines to us here in the state. So who knows, it may be me preaching to an empty room next week. And you're all going to be eager, eagerly in your living rooms, in your PJs, with your hot cocoa. Uh, who knows? We will see. But uh, I'm glad to see all the faces here today. Mary, it's good to see you here today. I know you had a scary week this week, and glad to have you with us. We are going to be making a couple changes this morning. One of the changes is when we do offering today, it's going to be at the door as you leave. During our time of offertory, we are going to ask that you spend it in prayer uh, as we do, as uh, our president has called us to a national day of prayer. Uh, you're going to pray. So when you leave today, uh, the ushers will be at the door to take your tithes and offerings. Also, that is to not be passing around the offering plate, which we have been informed is also passing around germs to one another. So we will be collecting your offering at the door as you leave and uh, doing that to lower the amount of uh, uh, exposure. But So we're going to call you to prayer. Prayer for those who are vulnerable. Prayer for those who lead us as they have an incredible burden on their shoulders in the days ahead. We appreciate what they do. And prayer for those who lead us not only in the church but in the public arena. Those in the public arena have an incredible responsibility. And prayer for those that you come in contact with. And I'd ask that you would keep your eyes and ears open. I heard a story this morning. Um, a couple was sitting in their car, an elderly couple. They were in a parking lot at a store. And they were afraid to go into the store because they were a highly vulnerable group. And so they rolled down their window and were calling out to people to go in and shop for them because they were so scared to go into the store. So keep your eyes and ears open. There are people around us that need us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So please keep your eyes open. I had this college professor. His name was Dewey Bertolini. Now, once you met Dewey, you were never the same. 
Dewey was this little Italian guy, big, bushy eyebrows. I would kill to have those type of eyebrows because he could just move them and the crowd would be zapped into there. I mean, they were in on him. And this little Italian guy could just control a crowd. I mean, he would speak, and, and thousands of kids would just flock to his house and to his stadium and wherever Dewey was at, Dewey. Well, one of Dewey's Deweyisms was this. A picture may be worth a thousand words, but there are times a word may be worth a thousand pictures. Did you catch that? A picture may be worth a thousand words, but there are times a single word may be worth a thousand pictures. Today, we have such a word, Gethsemane. We're going to begin a journey on the last day, the last hours of Jesus' life. And he will stop at four places. But the first is Gethsemane. But to get there, we have to go through the Kidron Valley. Let's see what the scriptures have to say, shall we? When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron. There was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some of the Officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. John chapter 18, verses 1 through 3. To get to the garden, we must first pass through the valley of Kidron. This is what it looks like. It's a narrow valley. It's a dark valley valley. It is surrounded by mountainous terrain. That little brook is, is called a wadi. It is a uh, place of flash flood. When just a little bit of rain would come, you would have a, a flash flood come down and your life would be in peril if you were there. The place means Dark, murky, sinister. Those who walk there at night say it feels eerie. It will be the place that will be the darkest night in the life of our Savior. He will have to walk through this place. It's a place of cleansing. Every time a good king of Judah would take root or take his leadership, he would come in and he would clean the temple. He would pull out every old idol, take it down to this valley and burn them. It was the place where David fled when chased by his son Absalom. 
Now, isn't it interesting? It caused weeping among the people when David ran from his son. It was the king's highway, so to speak. Here was a king who had to run because of the consequences of his sin to save his life. But on this night, a king will walk who is innocent, who will give his life because of the consequences of someone else's sins. Just the opposite will take place. Not only that, I want you to see It was the place the glory of God went when it left the temple the final time. If you read in Ezekiel chapter 11, the, the glory of God because of the sin of man and the sin of the people just finally kind of slowly leaves and it goes down through this valley and it, and it pauses at the Mount of Olives almost as if it's looking back and, and longingly looking back like it doesn't want to leave. But would you, would, you, would you repent? Would you turn back to God, please? And then finally leaves. The glory of God is not seen again until the return of Jesus. And now the glory of God walks this path back. Our brother Jim a few weeks ago shared about the temple sacrifices. The blood from all those sacrifices would be drained down this valley. It was the valley of the bloody sacrifice. And here, the final sacrifice would walk the trail of blood to the garden. Do you see the picture? The final sacrifice will walk his final trail. We also have the Mount of Olives that this is located on. We have here an olive tree from the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is part of the garden. The garden actually is part of the Mount of Olives. And uh, Mount of Olives is a small mountain range covered with olive trees. At that time, it was just, this whole range was just filled with olive trees. It's not so today. Whoops, let me go back. They, they brought wealth to Jerusalem. They made Jerusalem wealthy. They brought food. 
They brought oils. They brought medication. They brought fuel. They brought perfume. But their most important role was to anoint the king. We find back in 1 Samuel 16, 13, that Samuel goes and he finds David and he anoints him with olive oil to become the king. From that point on, the the king is always anointed with olive oil. And here, the anointed king, the Messiah, whose name means anointed one, is coming back to the place of the olive. Gethsemane. It's a compound word. It means press of oil. It's the oil press. It's an olive press to make oil. This little garden in which he is going into has two olive presses from the time of Christ. They're located in one of the caves. Now, an olive tree can produce up to 20 gallons of oil a year. It's very valuable. In fact, one of the challenges that Samuel will give When the people are wanting a king, he's saying, listen, they're going to take your best olive trees. They're going to steal your oil. They're going to take your wealth. It was a picture of wealth. It was a picture of royalty. In fact, if you were to go to Gethsemane today, you would have some of them tell you, and Scott, I know you went to Gethsemane. Did you go to Gethsemane? Where are you at, Scott? Did you go to Gethsemane? Did any of them say, hey, these are the same trees when Jesus, as Jesus was? No? Because some of the people I've talked to, they've said, yeah, their tour guys say, yeah, these are the same trees. They're the same roots, yeah. Yeah, see, they wouldn't be the same trees because when in 70 AD, Titus went, and J- I, correct me if I'm wrong, Jim, you're my resident historian, Titus would have cut down all those trees. And he would have built a fire. In fact, what he did was, by building the fire, he caused great explosions, which killed more people than even the Roman soldiers. Because the limestone would explode from the great heat. But here's the thing about olive trees. The roots of the olive trees keep putting forth shoots. They just, shoots everywhere. I'm from Strathmore. Our number one rival was Lindsay. Lindsay olives, you used to be able to find them everywhere in the store. Yeah, yeah. Even out here, I've seen some Lindsay, Lindsay olives out here, made it all the way to Minnesota. At one time, they were the olive capital of the world. I used to play in the olive bowl. All right. Yeah, killing an olive tree is so hard. You take your chainsaw. All right, we got rid of that tree. Shoots everywhere. They just don't die. 
You just won't. They keep coming back. And the word for it is called netzer. Shoot. Netzer. Guess what? We get the word Nazareth. Nazareth literally means it's the town of shoots. Where did Jesus grow up? The town of shoots. Now remember Isaiah 11? There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So what, what the original hearer heard was Jesus was the the branch of Jesse, the shoot of Jesse, lived for in the town of Shoots, or Shoot Town. Yeah, isn't that crazy? It was a picture that they couldn't escape. This is the Messiah. It was a fulfillment. Look at Matthew 2, 23. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. The original here, the branch of Jesse lives in Shoot Town. Wow. I hope this comes together for you. I know, I, I know I'm weird. I'm a nerd. But, what? Just the right amount of a nerd? Cool. But it's coming together. want you to see. Hello, my name is Mud, and I'm one of the guides at Nazareth Village. Whoops. We are standing in is our it embedded? functioning Is it embedded? Is it Im Hello, my, my name is Mud, and How do I stop it? Okay. Thank you. I don't know what to do next. Yes, take two. <laughs> Seriously, what do I, so let him control it? <laughs> oh, wise one in the booth, can you save me? Let me show you the picture while he's figuring it out. We're the harvest. Here's how they harvested the olives. They would take these long sticks and they would start to beat the trees. They'd have these sheets on the ground and they'd knock the olives onto the sheets and they would beat them. It reminds me of Luke 22, 63 and 64. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. And they also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is that who struck you? Now can we show the video and put my thing down? Are we there yet? I want you to see the picture. Hello, my name is Majd and I'm one of the guides at Nazareth Village. We are standing in our fully functioning replica of a first century olive press. We are entering the rainy season at the moment, uh, November and December, and this is the olive season, so our villagers already started harvesting the olives off of the trees and we bring them in here in order to press them. Uh, of course, olives are hard. You cannot just press them right away. Uh, the first thing you do in the process is crushing them. 
and that's why we use this big stone over here. Uh, Mosey the donkey is helping us move the stone around, and this stone will crush the olives and the pits. Everything needs to be crushed so finely until it turns into paste, and then it's ready for the next uh, stage of pressing. The crushed olives then are placed in baskets like the one you see over here. We're hanging it on the wall, but of course you lay it flat, and then there are pockets to the sides where you put the crushed olives, preparation for uh, the, the actual pressing process. And then you take about 10, 15 baskets to press them together at the press. Now the baskets are brought over here and stacked on top of each other. Underneath them, there's a hole in the ground that is about two feet deep and it gets also a bit wider as it goes in. So as you press the baskets over here, oil is gonna gather underneath. The beam of wood sits on top of the baskets, applying its weight as pressure. And then the three weights, the stone weights, are lifted using pulleys and leverage uh, in order to apply more pressure on top of the baskets. Each group of baskets gets pressed three times. The first time you apply pressure, you get the best quality oil. And according to the Jewish law, the first of your fruits you offer to God. So the oil from the first pressing, they will not use at home. They will take it to the temple in Jerusalem. And the second time they applied pressure, they got good quality oil, and it was used for food, medicine, perfume, and cosmetics. By the time they got to the third pressing, though, the quality of the oil was really bad, uh, and they would use it for oil lamps and making soap. The olive press has a very strong connection with Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane comes from two Hebrew words, Gat Shmanim, and they literally mean press of oils. And the olive press is a great illustration of the pressure that Jesus was under as he was praying in Gethsemane, to the point he even started sweating blood. And he prayed three times, an equal number to the pressings. And even Isaiah 53 says he was crushed for our iniquities. Pretty cool, huh? I hope that's starting to put the pieces together for you. The beatings. I want you to see the picture. They crushed the olives, Isaiah 53, 5. He was crushed for us. Then the heavy weight pressed upon the sacks. He talked about three times those weights, 1,100 pounds were what each one of those blocks would have weighed upon those sacks. Luke 22:39 tells us that each one of those, I'm going to have to go ahead a little bit. tells us that as he went in and, and prayed as was his custom to the Mount of Olives his disciples followed him and we came to the place he said pray that you may not enter temptation and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed saying father if you are willing remove this cup from me okay here's the pressure guys see that word cup all the time you see cup in the Old Testament, when it's not referring to a literal cup, it's referring to the wrath of God. 
It's referring to God's righteous judgment against sin. See, you and I, we don't like the word wrath. Because we think of our wrath. We think of human wrath. Out of control wrath. For God, God's wrath is never out of control. It is perfect, measured judgment against sin. And he's about to take the full wrath of God against all the sin. going to come upon him and he's saying I, I, I really don't want that. that's going to be a lot father but your will be done as, as a man I can understand not wanting to do the crucifixion but I don't have a clue what the weight of wrath would be. But he understood it better than you and I could ever understand it. And three times he prays. Three times he goes through the press. I want you to think about this. His challenge began with just like the great sweat of oil from the press and those bags they begin when they're pressed they begin to sweat drops of oil he began to sweat great sweats that looked as blood and in the in that that's a strange phrase in fact he was in agony and he was in so much agony that the angel from heaven was sent by his father to strengthen him. And his sweat became like great blood, drops of blood falling on the ground. And, and scholars debate on this. Was it just that it, it looked like a wound of, uh, because of the volume of sweat? Or was it that it was sweat and blood mingled? There is, there is a medical condition in which the capillaries break it underneath our skin and, and it can actually, under great stress, add blood to our sweat. We don't know. It, it's hard to know here. But what we can say is he is under great pressure. He is so exhausted that a father out of mercy sends an angel. Jesus bore our suffering. In fact, notice what he says. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples. And here he is suffering. And what does he find? He found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter temptation. You know, 
Sometimes we think that Jesus' suffering started on the cross or it started with the beatings. Friends, his suffering started in the garden. His suffering for us started right here. Right here is where it began. He suffered for you. And he suffered for me. Now I want you to read Isaiah 53 one more time. With the knowledge that you now have of the olive press. And see if that brings it to life. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. After seeing the, the olive press, does that not make it more real what he was going through that night? And now we come to the garden. In prayer, three times, Jesus returns to his men and he calls them to pray. And they can't. They fall asleep. Oh, my friends, this is a picture of you and I today. We mean well, but when called upon to stand in the gap, will we rise to the challenge? Or will we roll over and sleep? Notice the mob, the crowd, the cohort. And the kiss. The gospel writers call the group who come to get Jesus three different names. Mark calls them a mob, meaning a large group of people. Luke calls them the crowd, but John calls them the cohort, a group of soldiers sent on a mission to apprehend Jesus. And they tried to look undercover in their clothing and their style, but John sees through them. And Judas now moves in. He offers the greeting, a kiss, but Jesus calls him out. Jesus says, I've been teaching in the temple. But now you come at night with swords and clubs and torches to arrest me like a criminal. Jesus asks the question, who do you seek? And they say, we seek Jesus, the Nazarene. Jesus, the one of the shoots. That name appears again. Jesus of the olive shoots. And what does Jesus do? He says, I am. In Greek, it's ego ami. It is the name of God. Jesus reveals his name. And we're reminded here for just a glimpse of the greatness of Jesus. 
Philippians 2 tells us where the na- at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess Jesus is Lord. And Jesus, in a split second, gives them a microburst of who he is. They fall to the ground. He says, I am. Boom, they're down. He lets it sink in. He says, I am. Who are you searching for? I'm he. I'll let you arrest me. It's easy to forget who Jesus is, isn't it? He's God. He's God. He's my friend. He's my buddy. No, he's God. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever forget that at his name, you're not going to be high-fiving him. You're going to be bowing. And you're going to have your hands up confessing him as Lord. That's who he is. Don't forget not your buddy he's your king but he does love you and he is your friend who's closer than a brother they arrest him and all abandon him all the disciples run away Luke tells us they take Jesus to our next stop, the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, who we'll talk about next week. A word is worth a thousand pictures. A dark and murky road on a dark night in the life of our king. A place where cleansing happens. A road stained with the blood of sacrifice. A road where one king runs for his life while another runs to give his life. A place where the glory of God leaves because of sin and now the glory of God returns to destroy sin. An olive press, the shoot of David, the cup of wrath. Friends, do you see the pictures? The pictures of God, His greatness, His love, His glory as revealed through His only Son, Jesus Christ. How can you say it's by accident? How can you not give him your life each and every day? How cannot we bow our knee and confess him as Lord?